Our text for this morning's sermon is taken from the Gospel lesson with special emphasis on the following words. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is our text. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever floats your boat is a way of saying, do whatever you want. Today, we see what floats Jesus' boat of the church. It's the love, care, presence of our crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. He floats your boat, the boat of the church, because he wants you to enjoy life together with him and one another throughout all eternity in the glory of God. Now we see in our text for today that Jesus made them get into the boat. This is right after he had uh, did the miracle of changing or the, making the bread and the, the fish, a few loaves of bread and a few fish to feed 5,000 people besides women and children. Remember how the disciples had said, dismiss the crowds, we don't have enough food? Remember how we heard last week from Pastor Berg through that text that with the Lord there's always more, there's always enough? He didn't dismiss the crowds until they had their fill, until they were satisfied, until they were, were full, right? And we hear that now he dismisses the crowds because they had their fill. And he makes the disciples get into the boat. Where you are sitting today is called the nave. It's Latin for boat. The church has always been uh, seen as a, a boat. A lot of architecture with regard to churches that have been built have that boat theme. When you were baptized, those of you baptized here, and many baptismal fonts are just like that, this one has eight sides. It's to get you to think about how in holy baptism, you're put on the boat of the church. Why eight? There were eight people on Noah's ark. You're now on the ark of the Lord's church. He made you get into the boat through the water and word of holy baptism. And he promises to float your boat all the way into eternity. And that's the other reason for the number eight. You count Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, it's eight days. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. The early church liked to use that number eight, infinity, to teach the truth that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the dawn of a new day. And on that Easter Sunday, he started delivering the goods, del delivering the life that conquers even death. You need to be in the boat. You need to be in the boat of the Lord's church because you cannot make it past. You cannot make it across the chaotic waters of sin and death without Jesus and his boat of the church. The wind and waves of a fallen world will overcome you just like they overwhelmed Peter in our text for today. The Apostle Paul warns us about this in another place when he says these words, when he says that apart from Christ we are like children, quote, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, unquote. The wolves of evil huff and puff on, and blow our houses down into the chaotic waters of sin and death. With every gust of sin, there is a wave that pulls you in. Then there's a rip current that takes you further and further away from God and from each other. We've all experienced that, haven't we? You think of the gusts of wind that comes from within when we say things that we really shouldn't have said, when we're not truthful, when we speak poorly of someone else, someone for whom Christ suffered and died, that that person might live a full life with him and you and every person who has ever lived on this earth. And then there's the wind that comes from outside of us, right? Maybe someone says something to you that just puts you down. Or maybe someone who you really love and care about. Maybe they express that they don't care about you anymore. And that they're not going to have anything to do with you. Just because you think this or think that. Right? Those gusts of wind are followed up with waves of, of doubt waves of uncertainty about the truth of God and how can anyone ever put this all back together again. Those are the chaotic winds and waves of sin and death. Now Jesus, if you remember, he put the disciples into that boat of the church to make it through all of that, right? What did he do? He went up the mountain. Little quiz. You ought to be listening during church, right? So we'll see. I think you should get this one. What did Jesus go up the mountain to do? To pray. Very good. Who is he praying for? His disciples. He's our advocate before God the Father. And now I want you to think about, just kind of kick ahead to today, Jesus having accomplished our, our salvation through his suffering, death, and resurrection, and now he has ascended into heaven, right? His ascension does not mean absence. His ascension means that he fills all things in heaven and on earth. What is he doing for us now? Scripture tells us, Jesus told us, he's praying for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for you that you know the fullness of the love of God and that nothing in no one can separate you from that love. Now, while he's our advocate before God the Father, he's got our back, right? He's got our sins. They're all, the, all been taken care of. His ascension does not mean absence. He knows what's going on in the here and now with you and with me in real and genuine ways, just like he knew what was going on with those disciples. That's why he went out to them, right? He went out to them walking on the water, when I think about that, I think about how, you know, those chaotic waters of sin and death, they didn't penetrate at all. They didn't penetrate him who is the righteousness of God. He's above it all. He's the perfect son who lived the perfect life in our place for our sins. So he's above the water. He's walking on the water. 
And he walks out to those disciples and in the midst of that storm and they think he's a ghost. Well, Jesus is no ghost. He's the flesh and blood son of God who comes in real and genuine ways to save us. And notice what Jesus does. He does what he always does when he confronts his people, when he's there for them. Take courage or take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. I'm God with you, Emmanuel. I'm the Christ set apart to be with you. I'm Jesus here to save you. And you got to love Peter. He's impulsive, isn't he? Well, if it is you, tell me to come out there. Jesus says, come. And while he's fixing his eyes on Jesus, right, he's walking on water. The sin isn't penetrating because he's with Jesus, right? But then he does what we all do, right? He sees the wind and the waves, and he knows that this is impossible for him totally and utterly impossible. And he begins to sink. He begins to sink. But if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Remember this part. Jesus doesn't let him go under. Jesus doesn't let him sink into those chaotic waters of sin and death. He doesn't let him sink in despair. And it's not because of Peter's faith when he grabs hold of him, right? What does he say? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I'm God. I'm God with you. I'm God for you. I'm God here to save you. Whenever I, when, when have I not done what I've said I've, all along? I always do what I say. And I'm here to save you. Why did you doubt, Peter? Why did you doubt? He grabs hold of him. And I think of how, you know, later Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I and the Father are one. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus, he floated his own boat as he walked on the water, right? And he floats your boat too. He's not a ghost. He comes to you today in his body and his blood incarnationally. The word becomes flesh again today. No ghost there. No abstraction. The body and blood of Christ. Christ in the flesh for you to forgive your sins. Jesus is incarnationally present for us just like he was for the disciples. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. I'm one of you. I became one of you to save you. And notice what he does. He brings peace, right? Kind of like those first disciples on that first Easter Sunday, they're huddled uh, fearing for their lives. They're fearing for their lives because they didn't believe even after all of this, right? What does Jesus do? He goes in there and says, peace be with you. You know, when you were baptized, when Jesus began to float your boat and promised that he would always keep it above water. You know, it was said 
after your baptism, at the very end of the, the, the service of holy baptism, peace be with you. You know why? Because Jesus is with you in the flesh. This is my body, this is my blood, the words of Jesus that give and bestow what he, what he says, what is said right after that, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Because Jesus is with you in real and genuine ways. He's with you to save you. And he calls us to him now, doesn't he? He calls us to him. He also admonishes us. And we do need to be admonished for our little faith when we doubt him. But when we doubt him and don't do what he has given us to do, what does he do? He, he puts us back in his boat, a boat that floats with his forgiveness, with his life and peace. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on him, because with him there is forgiveness. With him there is life that conquers death. With him there is forgiveness that overcomes your doubt and your unbelief with the reality of his presence in the flesh, in the here and now for you. So what do the faithful do in this boat called the church? Well, they do what the faithful did, the disciples did, in our text for today, they worship him. They say, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God, Jesus. You say what you do and do what you say. While I wasn't there in the beginning, at the, when the waters came together and, were, and when the earth was created, he was. He's the author of creation. He was there. He knows all about it. He knows all how it runs and how it goes south with our sins. He has come to give us a new heavens and a new earth, to restore it all in the end. And he does it with the victory won at the cross where he took in the chaotic waters of our sin and death into himself. He drank it to its dregs, right? And then he buried it in his death, rose victorious over it. And now he comes to you, not as a ghost, but as a real flesh and blood, human being, and God in the flesh. The wind ceased when they got in the boat, didn't they? What the confession absolution and the forgiveness that you were just given, for example, when you confessed your sins this morning, well, there's peace. There's calm. Last night we were out on Pigeon Lake. It was on somebody's boat. And it was, just, it was like glass. It was just so peaceful, right? That's the peace that God gives in and through Jesus Christ. This is the enormity of what he is doing in the boat of his church. Sin, it's not minimized. It's not denied. Others are not blamed nor canceled for it. Sin is paid for. Paid for by Jesus. And we're all reconciled with God and each other. In other words, he floats your boat. The Lord floated his boat for Moses. He floated his boat for Noah. He floated his boat for his disciples, filling it with all the fish they needed. And he floats his boat for you to give you everything you need 
so that you end up safe and sound in the harbor of heaven. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our lives in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.